Philippians 4. Paul is writing and he says this. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. My goodness, what a great word for the church. What a great word for our culture, right? Father, your son has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. So may I preach with an anointing of revelation and give us ears to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. And this is a truth the Lord's been laying on my heart. It's one the culture needs, but the church needs too, because we tend to get culturalized by such complaining and whining and negative speech we seem to hear everywhere we go. So kind of touch your head and say, Father, give me in my thought life a good attitude. It's a good prayer to pray. Go ahead. And you, can, you can lay your hand on, your, on yourself. Say, Lord, give me a good attitude in my thought life. I want a good attitude in Jesus' name. Amen. God will help you because it's his intention that our thought process be one that's been sanctified by his word. Paul said something similar in another letter that he penned to the church. And why did he repeat information so similarly? Why did he do this more than once? Because Paul knew that the battlefield in your life and for success happens between your ears. It's in your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then he said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The word mind in the Greek has to do with the concept of how we form attitudes. In other words, Paul's saying, I want you to have the same attitude that your Savior Jesus possessed. That's the attitude we're to have. And there's a proverb that says, you see what you are prepared to see. So as I hold this little bottle of water up here today, and it's colored, so you can see it. What do you see? Hmm? Those with a negative outlook are going to say what? I see a bottle that's half empty. Right? Somebody's already been drinking out of that bottle. Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Mm. Now it's half full. Okay. Others with a positive attitude will say, I see a bottle that's half full. We see what we are prepared to see. So I have a friend in ministry whose schedule warrants he flies in a private plane. And in the cockpit, there's a switch that enables his pilot to turn the lights on at the airport that they need to land at during the evening. So from on board, the pilot can light up the landing strip because though it sounds easy, when you're over a city at night looking down, there are so many lights, unless you're familiar with the area, right? It's not always easy to see the landing strip. But by using that device, the pilot can connect with the tower to turn on the landing strip lights, and they flash at him, making it easier for him to land the plane. 
And the pilot's eyes then are prepared and sharp so he can detect those lights and find his way to the landing strip. The pilot's eyes are prepared to see what he's been prepared to see. That's true in many areas of life. A comedian used to say, what you see is what you get. (laughs) So watch this. You see what you're prepared to see, and what you see is what you're going to get. If you see the negative, that's what you're going to get. If you see the positive, sooner or later, good things are going to start happening in your life. Attitude is an outward expression of an inward feeling. So if you see someone with a rotten attitude, all that is, it's an outward expression of an inward feeling. Everything you accomplish is determined by what you think and what you see. So I'm going to give you three truths here today about attitude, because attitude is critical to our spiritual success and growth. When you take the course and that, that, that growth course that Pastor Tyler is talking about, attitude is very important to the success in how you grow and how you continue to develop and mature in the things of the Lord. So you need to take hold of a good attitude by planting God's word in your mind as well as in your spirit. So you might want to get a copy of this message before you leave the building or at least take some notes. But first of all, we're going to talk about attitude. Here's what you need to know about your attitude. It's a choice. I said it's a choice. You get to choose. Paul talking about some of the issues he was facing when he was arrested by the Roman Empire, looked at the leader, one of the leaders in the empire, and he said, he said, I think myself happy. You choose the way you think. Well, pastor, I know that. Do you really know that? Do you know it? You know what people do? When you wake up with a bad attitude, you blame it on your bed. I got up on the wrong side of the bed. So I want to say to you, Go back to bed and get up on the other side, please, all right? Because if your bed did that to you, go back and start over in that bed. A bed cannot do that to your attitude. You get to choose the kind of attitude that you have. You say, well, my circumstances are rotten. (laughs) That doesn't determine your attitude. You have to choose your attitude. Listen, everybody has problems. No exceptions. Oh, I wish I were so-and-so. No, Everybody has problems. No one escapes them. Everybody has challenges. and Everyone's under pressure in this culture. Everyone is facing situations that could easily be overwhelming. And if you're not careful, you allow your attitude to drag your life down. And, and your whole life will go into the pit. So let me tell you something. If you're grumpy, it's because you want to be. If you're angry and mean and negative, it's because you want to be. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Amen. You don't have any control over your conditions. You You didn't have any control over the circumstances into which you were born. But you have a lot to say about the choices you make. You might have been born on the wrong side of the tracks. You might have been born in poverty. Maybe you were born into a home where your dad abandoned you. That's happened a lot in our culture. Or even your mom. You didn't have any say-so in any of that. But you have all the say-so in your attitude that you choose to have in life. 
have this attitude in your mind that was in Christ Jesus. You choose it. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself. So we, we, we take a change of garment and attitude. How? Clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. I heard the story of a mother and daughter who went shopping, and they were going to spend the whole day doing it. Morning through evening, they ate lunch together. They shopped all day together. Uh, Mom's feet grew sore as the hours went on. They'd run all over the mall. Before they were through, they had one final store to go into. Kind of interesting how, well, I won't say that. Some, some people like going into every store. I, I, I know what I want when I go to the store, and I go right for it. If they have it, I buy it. If they don't, I'm, I'm out. See? Okay. But mom was tired, worn out, and uh, feet got swollen. She was grumpy. She was irritable. They walk finally into this one last store where they have one more item to take, and uh, they got it, obtained it, and walked out. The mother turned to her daughter and said, you know, did you notice the dirty look the salesperson gave me? And her daughter looked at her and said, Mom, she didn't give it to you. You had it when you went in. Okay? <laughs> you don't need a new set of circumstances. You need a new set of attitudes. <laughs> Well, Pastor, I don't believe in that positive stuff. Well, what do you believe in? The negative stuff? You have the choice. You can either be positive about where you are, or you can be negative and go right on into depression. I promise you, it's not the Lord saying to you, be down today. Don't be happy today. Be grumpy today. That's not the voice of the Lord. That's the voice of the devil. That's the voice of, of de demons. That's a voice of depression. We have to choose to allow that same mind that was in Christ to be in us. What kind of mind did Jesus have? He was having a bad day in that context because it was that day they were crucifying him. It was still not a bad day because it was a good day. It was the day the Lord had made. It was by design that that day would come to pass. But on the worst day of his life, if he chose to see it that way, Jesus chose for the joy that was set before him. He saw something to be happy about, something to be pleased about when he was being crucified because he saw our redemption and it was worth it. And it brought joy to his spirit. Jesus said, I'm going through the worst moment of my life, but this is what I was born to do. This is why I came into the world. This is why Father sent me here. And in the next few hours, something fantastic is going to happen and come out of the seed that's planted, the most incredible transformation ever afforded the human race. We will have redemption. Sunday's coming. Resurrection is about to happen. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it. So my Navy SEAL friend says, 
we don't have bad days. We have good days because we choose to have an attitude that says something good's going to come out of this in the struggle. I was reading a story the other day. I love looking at these anecdotes and these stories of people's lives and how they kind of make biblical principles. They can fit into them and, and uh, applications come out of them. And there was about a boy who grew up in Alabama. He would wake in every morning at 5.30 because they lived on a farm and they were very poor. They didn't have much. Um, it was a struggle for them to get by. And his mom would arouse him and knew he had chores before he was off for the day to go to school. So he had to get, get up and get the firewood for the fireplace, assist around the family farm with some specifics. A little guy, and was cold at 5.30, and he was pretty sleepy, didn't like getting up early. But every morning when his mother would awaken him, the first thing she would say to him was this, Jeff, this is going to be a great day. She did that every morning when she awakened him. This is going to be a great day. And he would have to get up, and do his chores before breakfast and, and then go to school every single day. Finally, one morning when she awakened him, she said, Jeff, this is going to be a great day. And he looked up at her and he said, Mom, this is going to be a terrible day. I'm tired and I'm cold. and I don't want to get up. He wasn't sick, just grumpy. He said, well, sweetheart, if you feel that way, just lay down, darling, and go back to sleep. And it shocked him. And he said, man, what have I been thinking? Why didn't I try this before? <laughs> so mom left the room, and he rolled over. Couldn't believe what he'd heard. Goes back to sleep for a couple of hours. And he awakens to a warm house. The fireplace is burning. And, and uh, he goes in for the, into the kitchen because he smells that breakfast has been prepared. Sits down. And all of a sudden, his mom shows up and says, mom, this is going to be a great day. And his mom said, no, son, this morning you said, this is going to be a terrible day. And I'm going to be sure it's going to be a terrible day. <laughs> this breakfast is not for you. You can go back and lay in, down in your room, take a nap. You can stay there, in fact, all day long. You won't even have to go to school. So he goes back to his room and he does some reading and he kind of falls back to sleep for a while and he's hungry. But fortunately, mom has got some snacks in there for him, you know, some cookies and some, and some candy, and he can snack on that. And he's bored to death and doesn't know what to do with himself, but he's been confined to his room for the rest of the day. So he plays around with some games, and he tries to go to sleep at night, and he gets up about 3 o'clock in the morning because now he's really hungry. I mean, he can't sleep any longer, and he's starving, so... 5.30 rolls around, and Mama comes to the door, and guess what? He's dressed. He's got a good attitude. When she opened the door, he threw his arms around her and said, Mom, this is going to be a great day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your attitude about your job is your choice. Your attitude about your marriage is your choice. Your attitude about your future is your choice. Your attitude about the problems you face, listen, it, it, it's not about what the devil's done to you. It's not about, well, my, the Lord will just take care of it for me. It's up to you. Your attitude has to play into these things. You have to let the same mind that is in Christ also be in you. It's our choice. 
Now, second, your attitude will determine your approach to life, how you go out about doing life. Some people walk through life, they absolutely amaze me, right? I mean, people have difficulties that are almost insurmountable. Every now and then I come in contact with one of our wounded warriors, and I'm amazed at the resiliency, amazed at the determination, amazed that they get up and get into races and then competitions. And I'm thinking, man, and look at what they've had to overcome to do this. And the attitude is so positive about how they approach life. In church, I see people who have difficulties, trials. Man, you can't even write them down. You can't make it up. You won't believe it. But your attitude will determine your altitude. And you see the people, and they're smiling, and they're up, and they shake your hand, and they're still thanking God they've got another day. They, their attitude is, this is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to be joyful. Amen? Then other people, you see them. It's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you that makes the difference. And no matter what kind of a day it is, they, they start every sentence with some kind of complaint. So many people are like, you know, my granddaughter taught me this lesson yesterday. The lyrics to a song. She said, you need to learn this, Papa. I said, what is it? She goes, it goes like this. I don't care what they say. We know how to come back. Because I come back like a boomerang. And I said, <laughs> I said do you even know what a boomerang is? Yeah. Have you ever thrown a boomerang? But instilled in her was the principle, right? As we make comebacks. You know, it's like that grandpa with his wife. He goes to visit the grandchildren. So they drive all day to get there. They arrive as, as it's getting close to dark. And he's kind of tired. And he said, I'm going to go take a nap. And uh, like my grandfather on my mother's side, he had one of these handlebar mustaches. Comes way out here. He had one of those. And he went in and lay down. And he took a nap. One of his grandchildren snuck into the bedroom. Couldn't resist the temptation. He saw the long mustache, and so he went out in the kitchen and got some Limburger cheese and smeared a little bit underneath the mustache. So when the grandpa got up, he, he, he stood up in the room, and he sniffed, and he said, something stinks in here, right? This bedroom stinks. And he walks out into the kitchen where his wife had baked some cookies for the family, and he walks over, and he takes one, and dips it in some milk, and he bites it and says, this kitchen stinks. And these cookies stink. And he headed over to the door and said, I'm going outside. I need some fresh air. <laughs> Takes a deep breath. And he says, the whole world stinks. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. How many of you know that the whole world doesn't stink? I know some people with Limburger cheese attitudes, though. Have you met them? Yeah. The whole world stinks everywhere they go, everybody they get around, everything they get involved in. It's like one old big stink everywhere they go. God help you if you're married to one of those. Oh, your attitude will determine your approach to life. Your attitude will determine how you relate with people. How many business people do we have in here? There, listen, the Stanford Research Institute, here's what they recorded. 87% of success in sales is people knowledge. 
of success is product knowledge. Let me interpret that for you. That means you're not in the sales business. You're in the people business. The people business. Yeah. So your attitude will determine your relationships with people. In the Nordstrom Corporation, their theme is this. The only difference between stores is the way they treat people. So what am I saying? If your attitude determines your relationship with people, let me propose a question. If you're married as a wife, does your husband make you happy? Now think before you answer. Because if you say yes, you've got temporary happiness. Watch this. This is what I know from God's word and from years of experience. People don't make you happy. And you're going to learn this. When you enter marriage thinking, well, he or she is going to make me happy, wait a couple of years, okay? Here's what you've learned. They will not make you happy. And I'm not being negative, not at all. I'm being realistic. This is a serious problem because people enter a relationship thinking, well, that's the person that's going to fix me because I'm unhappy and they're going to make me happy. This person's going to make me What a letdown a couple of years into this because a little bit later, I hate to be the one that tells you, they're not going to make you happy. The only person who's going to make you happy and contented is, is the basis of your secure relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only one who fulfills what it is you were created to be. And the moment you become a happy per- person, then people would begin to add to your happiness. Then your spouse can add something to your happiness. But as long as you're an unhappy person, then the most of the people that you're going to encounter are going to add to your unhappiness because of the law of attraction. And understand, if you're thinking of getting married because you think that person's going to make you happy, and then all your problems are going to go away, and you are greatly deceived. If you're not happy now, you're probably going to be miserable two or three years from now. Singles, you need to be whole before you get married. Let Jesus make you whole. Amen? The worst thing you can do is connect with somebody who's needy. Shanita. She need a rent. She need a car. She need a house. She needed someone to make her happy. She needed someone to help her self-esteem. You need to give yourself yourself self-esteem because of who you are in Christ. You need to give yourself happiness because of who you are in Christ. You need to give yourself an identity because you are Christ's because of whom you are in Jesus. So you need to cultivate deeper relationship with Jesus and know who he is to become more like him. So if you're never married, you're still content and you're still whole. I pray you're not seated next to Shanita, right? So watch. You can go that way. You can. What's amazing is that the person who is not needy like that because they're whole and they know who they are in Christ. Their phone blows up with text messages. Someone's always tapping into them. Someone's always connecting with them because they're the kind of person you want to be around and those are the people who take care of business for you. Your husband, your wife will not make you happy. Your relationship to Jesus makes you a whole person. Amen. And many people have destination disease. 
If I can just get there, I'd be happy. If I can just move to that place, then I'll be happy. So, you know, like moving to Texas, they never have storms or anything like that, right? Yeah. So Dave couldn't even leave Dallas yesterday. Yeah, he couldn't fly anywhere, right? If I just had that house, I'd be happy. If somehow I got that promotion to that next level, if I could just get that new contract, if I could just get over there, if I could just get that person, then I would be happy. There's no moving van that can come to your house and move you to happy land. There is none. It doesn't exist. It's not there. God will bless you where you are when you tell him, Father, I'm yours. I'm in your hands. I must be where you want me because this is where you planted me. God has blessed many people right where they are. And you can nod your head if you can't say amen because someone will elbow you. Just, mm, that's the truth. <coughs> Because God will take you places, listen, you've only dreamed about when you are content with who you are in him. If all you do is chase after something to make you happy, listen, if you get it, you'll find one day even it will leave you empty. And what a letdown if you think that material thing is going to make you happy. It absolutely will not happen. Well, pastor, I believe that the grass is greener on the other side. I do. If I could just get over there, I'd be happy. You know, when you have a lawn in your yard and notice it gets very green in one little corner and seems to be some standing water around it, listen, call the plumber because sure enough, you've got a leak in your septic system. <laughs> and here's the point. If the grass is greener on the other side, it's usually over the septic tank, okay? <laughs> so you start, yeah, you start trash talking your wife. You look at somebody else's wife and think, well, I'd rather have her. Mine doesn't treat me very well. She doesn't meet my needs, and she doesn't treat me the way I deserve to be. And the grass is greener on the other side, mm-hmm, and there might be a septic tank up under there. So be real careful where you're going. The same is true about your job. Quit whining about your boss. Your old sorry job, I hate my job. This, that, and the other every day is a litany of complaints. That other job, listen, it might not be what you're thinking it is because to you, you're looking at it as if it's some glamorous opportunity. Your attitude ought to be, be happy wherever you are. Paul put it like this, I'm content no matter where God places me. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> say to the Lord, give me a right attitude. Right yeah, attitude. because some today have destination disease. Others have some, someone sickness. I could just get that someone. You know what I mean? If I could just find him, her. If I could just marry him, her. If I could just be him, her. If I could just like, I act like him, her. That's what people think. That's why the word says that you're not acting wisely when you think like that. It's not wise to compare yourself to others, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves 
are not wise. Good preaching, I know. That's good. <laughs> Third, your attitude can turn your problems into blessing. Yeah, absolutely. Did you hear what I said? I said your attitude can turn your problems into blessings. Or your blessings into problems if you've got the wrong attitude. What do you mean by that? Well, over the years, I've done a number of weddings. And every once in a while, I have to perform uh, a wedding for a young, giggly couple. McGiggles family. Sick, Sick love, you know. Ever seen people in that sick love kind of thing? They come in. And I know what's going to happen. I know. I can tell. I can write the story. I got the chapter already taken care of. They're in love. They walk in. They're so in love, they're inseparable. They look like one person is driving the car when they're together. Right? It's a muskrat love. It's, it's, a, it's, so, it's so bad. I, I know I'm wasting my time with that because I'm going to ask, have you, have you got a job? No, but we're in love. Okay. Where are you going to live? We don't know, but with one of our parents, probably. That's going to be great. That's really, that's going to work out well. It's useless. You can't talk any sense to them by then. And if they make it through the courtyard holding each other up, then he goes to the car and he opens the door for her. You know, and you heard what someone said about a man opening her door in our day. If he opens her car door in our day, it means one of two things. He either has a new wife or a new car. One of the two, okay? His parents aren't teaching kids what they should do, right? So he opens the door, and I watch, and she, she gets in, slides all the way over, and I think, why don't you just take the shortcut, open your door, and let her get in right there? Because she's on his lap anyways when they take off. And off they go. And I love it, because generally, this has been... <laughs> And the list of the worst possible cars you can own, there they go in their Pinto. There they go. There they go. I mean, I mean, they're in love, and that's all it takes because <laughs> they're in love. So I better finish before I get in more trouble here today, okay? Because <laughs> about a year or so after they're married, I have another appointment. And I promise when they walk in, they're not even touching, okay? They're sitting stiffly because they're messed up. Well, wait a minute. They're the same people. Mm -hmm. What happened? Before they started dating, you see, they had the same issues they have now. They never got them resolved. Baggage. And they started dating through these rose-colored glasses, not listening to anyone giving them any direction, not doing some exploratory dating to process information rationally, having a broader view of who I am and what I need to work on in my own life. They get all emotionally involved before any of the baggage has been dealt with. And and listen, the baggage one has or both have are hidden now between their emotional involvement with each other. And you don't see it because, you know, the guy, when he's picking her up, you know, he smells good. He's got a shirt on that looks okay. He's kind of together. And now after they're married, he's on the sofa with a bag of chips. And, 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 but they wouldn't listen to anything. And, and she'll say, well, he's a little sloppy, but I think he's cute, you know. 
yeah, she's a big spender, but I just love her so much. So they never get these issues ironed out, and, and, and you're seeing the person with the best attitudes without really taking a good hard look at what you're going to be dealing with. Therefore, you carry through the dating process. A couple of years later, you're seeing one another now through the eyes of reality. You can make some good music for me right now. <laughs> there we go. Uh, there we go. Yeah. And what's supposed to be a blessing can become a tremendous problem in heartache for a lot of people because now you've changed your attitude. Your attitude can change your problems into blessings. So today I'm praying when you walk out of here and you're going to encounter life this week, problems, situations, issues, baggage that you brought with you along the journey of life. Understand you are never defeated until you're defeated on the inside. Jay Redmond was telling me, wounded warrior from Iraq. I used to hear Dave River preach, he said, when I was a kid in Sunday school in the Carolinas. <laughs> Everybody's heard Dave River preach. I don't think anybody's alive has heard Dave River preach. He said, uh, I became a SEAL. I threw everything away, faith, everything. Threw it all over the overboard. Until I was uh, on my back, bleeding out in Iraq. And I rediscovered that I needed God in my life really fast. Yeah. He said the resiliency we had to learn and recovery was dependent on faith we had in God. We overcame the wounds and the struggles and the battles because we placed our faith in God. What Jesus did for you is he gave you access to his mind, the word of God penned on paper that you hold in your house, in your lap. You've got the mind of God at your disposal. He's given you his power the authority by which he wrote this and makes it live is available to each of us. So you can draw from that reservoir of strength that he's given to you in his owner's manual. You were void of that BC, but now he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And if you keep the right spirit, accessing the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, Jesus never, never quit mindset. Because there were places where he could have quit. Just like you have spots where you could have quit. I'm going to finish what the Father sent me to do. Paul, after brutal beatings and imprisonments and hardships that nobody in America's culture has ever had to endure for the name of Jesus, 
devil tried to kill him in all kinds of environments and could not. Tried to drown him, tried to stone him to death, tried to do everything you could humanly do, beat him to death. No. So because I haven't finished yet. And when he finally knew his mission was finished, said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Never, never quit. The attitude Jesus had never said to anybody, go ahead and give up. You're a failure. You're not going to make it. You ought to be afraid. Jesus never says that. You never see that attitude anywhere coming from God. You never see those attitudes in Jesus of, you know, I don't like being around. I hate people. I hate that person. I, you never see that attitude in God. Everybody's done me wrong. You don't see that attitude in God, and everybody has done him wrong because we've all sinned against our Father. But you don't see that attitude. Well, life is just so hard. He never said that nor expressed that attitude. Jesus possessed the attitude, I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life. Jesus has an abundant life attitude. So no matter what kind of problems you're facing, no matter the circumstances, what kind of issues, I believe with all my heart that your attitude, whatever you're seeing, is going to determine what you will receive. So I'm saying I see victory, and I choose victory. I see it says the head and not the tail. I see this body above only and not beneath. And I love that phraseology, above only. We have no other option but to rise above it, not beneath. I have an attitude that what Satan meant for my evil, God will have turned it for my good. I have an attitude that my joy and peace and happiness is not dependent on anything external. It's all internal. And it comes out of the greater one who lives in me and in you. And with that, stand and give him thanks and praise him and honor him and bless him for his faithfulness in your life. Thank you, Lord.